0: It's great to be with you again here at Connection Point, and I want to invite you today to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12 as we examine God's Word together. You know, my wife and I have had for years a list of places that we wanted to go on vacation, places to explore, and that's included most of our national parks in the United States. Well, one of those places is Glacier National Park, and last year in 2020, Candy and I had planned to go to Glacier National Park. I had literally been looking forward to visiting this place for about 30 years, and finally last year was when we were supposed to do it. We had our airline reservations, we had a place reserved where we were going to stay within the park, we had it all planned, and then the pandemic obliterated our plans So last week, just last week, we were able to use some frequent flyer miles and we flew out to Montana and we spent a few days, just four or five days, but we were able to visit Glacier National Park. Now I want to tell you It was beautiful, and my little cell phone photos don't do it justice, but I took this photo of one of the mountain scenes and forests that we saw, and then there's another one that I want to show you. This is my favorite, of of the lake and the mountains and the trees. It's just so very beautiful, and in case you're wondering if maybe I just downloaded those off the internet, here's one that proves that Candy and I were actually physically there. While we were there last week, someone suggested that we should hike up to a place called Avalanche Lake. Well, we asked how far Avalanche Lake is, and they said, oh, it's about six miles. That didn't sound too bad. We can hike six miles on flat terrain. They said, it's about three miles up and three miles back. Well, the operative word there was up. I mean, three miles on level ground isn't too bad, but three miles up. Is pretty pretty bad, and it was steeper than we expected. We almost gave up several times, to be honest about it, but several times along the way, as we about the time we were thinking about turning back, an interesting thing happened. There were other hikers who had already made it to the top, and they were coming back down the trail. And they kept offering us words of encouragement. They would say things like, you're halfway there, or don't stop now, you can do it, don't give up, it's worth it if you make it to the top. So partly thanks to their encouragement, we kept on going. And when we got to this spot on the trail, one particular hiker who was very encouraging, he came back and said, you're almost there. He said, it's just around the bend, you're just a couple of minutes away. So we kept going. I have to tell you, if it were not for the encouragement that we received from the hikers who were ahead of us, I'm not sure we could have made it. But I'm so glad we kept going because I want to show you the picture of Avalanche Lake that I took at the top when we finally arrived. I love this picture. I took it with my little cell phone. Don't you love the way the mountains and the sky on the top are reflected, mirrored in the lake below. I have this now as the screensaver on my laptop because I just love looking at this beautiful picture. You know, we were only there for a few minutes at the top of the mountain, and then we started hiking back down the trail, and guess what? Now it was our turn to be the encouragers. When we were coming down and we saw other tired-looking hikers coming up the mountain, We told them, hey, don't give up. It's worth it. You're almost there. Keep going. You'll be glad when you get to the top of the hill. Now, our experience last week on that mountain is a pretty good lead-in to Hebrews chapter 12. Last week, Pastor John talked about faith from Hebrews chapter 11. And right after listing a number of people who lived by faith, kind of God's honor roll of faith, like the hall of fame of faith, great people listed there in Hebrews 11 who lived by faith. Look what it says at the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with perseverance or with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, what is this huge crowd of witnesses You know, in biblical times, they already had some very big stadiums that held thousands of spectators for athletic events or theatrical performances. When we serve the Lord, it's like we are athletes down on the field in a huge stadium. We're surrounded by rows of spectators up in the stands, rising up around us like a giant cloud. These great heroes of the faith described in Hebrews chapter 11 are the people in that crowd. They're like the ones that we know by the names of Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Daniel. These great famous people. They're cheering us on. They're pulling for us to stay in the race and get to the top of the mountain and finish the race. They are the hikers who made it to the top. And they're saying, keep going. You can do this. I like to think my mom and dad are up there cheering along with all the other believers who've gone on before. The Christian life is a race, and it is a marathon, not a sprint. It requires perseverance over the long haul. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit an NFL training camp, and I watched the team practice. The quarterback was throwing passes one after another to the wide receivers, and it was amazing to see the accuracy of the throws. Time after time after time, he would drop back and throw it to an exact spot 30 yards down the field, and the receiver, just right on cue, was right there to catch the ball. It just, I was just watching this in amazement, thinking, what does it take to be that good? But then it's Not hard to figure out. That quarterback and that receiver, they've been throwing and catching passes like that over and over again repetitively for years, probably for most of their lives. I read recently that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert at playing an instrument like the violin or the piano. That's actually encouraging to me. It means I only have about 9,998 hours to go, and I'll be really good at that. I mean, there are things that are worthwhile in life that require perseverance and endurance. Well, how can we do this with our faith? We'll go on and look at verses 2 and 3. It says, "...we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame." Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured, Jesus endured, from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. Now before we dig deeper into this passage, let's just notice and acknowledge the struggle is real. You're not imagining it. Life really is hard. Following Jesus isn't a walk in the park. When my son Matt was a teenager, I remember one day he came to me and asked me if I wanted to go do paintball with him and some of his friends. Now, I don't know if you've ever done paintball. It sounds like a fun family activity, doesn't it? I mean, you put on some goggles, you run around in the woods. How hard can that be, right? But I quickly learned that some folks take this very seriously. And let let me tell you, those paintballs hurt, especially when you get shot, at close range, which happened to me a lot while we were out there. I thought I was signing up for some fun, easy family time, but I came home covered with round bruises all over my body, and I thought to myself, I'm never going to do that ever again. Maybe when you accepted Christ and you were baptized, you thought, hey, this is going to be easy. God's going to take care of all my problems. Everything's going to be just peaceful and great. And then after a while, you say, hey, wait a minute what's going on? I'm getting hurt. I'm getting bruised. Maybe even though you follow Jesus, you still feel lonely at times, or you still wrestle with temptation, or you're still struggling with family problems or health problems or money problems. Now, Jesus didn't bait and switch us Jesus was brutally honest. He said, if you follow him, you have to take up a cross. And the apostle Paul was honest about it too. Near the end of his life, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let me tell you, if you run a race, especially a long race, you're going to get tired. You're going to sweat. And if you fight a fight, even if it's a good fight, you're going to take some punches. You're going to take some blows. It goes on in verse 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, and it says, After all, you've not yet given your lives, some translations say, you've not yet shed your blood in your struggle against sin. The word struggle there comes from a Greek word that literally meant agony, to agonize. The struggle is real. This is not minimizing our problems when it says, Well, you haven't given your life yet in your struggle against sin. It's not minimizing our problems, but it does put them into perspective. At least things aren't so bad in our lives that we've given up our blood or that we've died from what we've been been, uh, doing for Christ. But, of course, Jesus did give up his blood. And so did some of those heroes of the faith mentioned back in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact... Remember in verse 1 of chapter 12, we read about this great crowd of witnesses rising up around us. Interestingly, the Greek word for witness, the Greek word translated witness in that verse is martyria. It's where we get the word martyr. So many people died in those days because they preached the gospel that the very word witness, martyr, came to mean people who died for their faith. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, it describes the great victories that were won by faith. And so it mentions, like in Hebrews 11, it says, verse 33, those who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword. All these great things that these people did by faith. But then it goes on and it says, others though... Others were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And I love the way it says this, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They lived by faith. They were commended for their faith, but life was anything but easy for them. Down through history, that's what some of God's people have endured for the sake of their faith. The struggle is real. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's why it says, put on all of God's armor So that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's why the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange were happened to you. Don't be surprised when life is difficult, but don't be dismayed either. The struggle is real, but the struggle is survivable. A missionary in Japan once told me, when your feet hurt, it doesn't mean you can't walk. It just means it hurts when you walk. Hebrews chapter 12 actually suggests three questions that we should ask when we are struggling here's the first one what is your focus what is your focus you know when you run a race you have to keep your eyes on the goal you don't look back you don't look over your shoulder you don't keep checking back to see what the other runners are doing you focus on the tape at the finish line and you sprint toward it now let me ask you honestly what has your attention Most of the time. What are you focusing on in your life? I own several ball caps, kind of have a little collection of them. People have given them to me over the, the years, and I've purchased a few when I've visited different places. This particular ball cap is my very favorite one. One time on another trip to Montana, Candy and I rode up a ski lift up to the top of a mountain, and about three fourths of the way up the hill, my ball cap blew off my head. And it fell down onto the, the hill below. Well, we were almost to the top of the mountain. And I was determined. I like this cap. So I was determined to retrieve it. And it didn't look from my vantage point like it was very far down the hill. So I decided to just walk down and retrieve my ball cap. The problem is the hill was a lot steeper than it looked. And as I started to walk down the hill, gravity took over, and instead of walking, I was sort of stumbling and then practically running and trying to keep my balance. I I started to pick up speed. I was on the verge of losing control. Just in the nick of time, I grabbed onto a tree, and it stopped me from tumbling all the way down the mountain. Let me tell you, I look back on that, and I really question my judgment (laughs) I risk serious bodily injury for the sake of a silly ball cap. Why would I do that? I'm not sure why, what I was thinking. I was pursuing something that really didn't matter much in the big picture. And it almost ruined my life. But let me ask you, what are you focused on? Are you focused on things that really matter? This scripture says to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not on ourselves. Not just on our money or our cars or our retirement or our homes. Not on our problems and our worries. Not even just on good things like our jobs or our families or our friends. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Even in the church we need this reminder. We get so caught up in other things and programs and activities but The point is to focus on Jesus, to focus on Jesus and fix our eyes on him when we are happy and when we're sad, when we're young and when we're old, to fix our eyes on Jesus even when we die. Jesus deserves our full attention. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the beginner and ender. He's the starting point and he's the finish line. He's where you came from and he's where you're going. He was there when you were born and he will be there when you die. What could you focus on that's more important than Jesus? Fred Craddock told a story about a man who moved into a small house. And when winter came, the man got cold, so he pulled a few boards off the house to build a fire. But without the boards, the house became draftier and colder, and so he pulled some more boards off to build a bigger fire. And the fire was warm, but now the house seemed even colder than before, so he pulled off some more boards... (laughs) And in a few days, the man cursed the weather, cursed the house, and moved away. That is the futility of trying to live without Christ. Mad Magazine once published a cartoon called The Human Race. It showed runners lined up on a track at the starting line, ready to take off, kind of like at the Olympics games, and they're all lined up on the track. But in each lane in this cartoon, in each lane, there was something out ahead for the runner to pursue, to make him run faster. He was going to be chasing after it. The first lane contained gold and credit cards. It represented the pursuit of money. The next lane contained books and diplomas, the pursuit of an education. In the next lane, there were bikini-clad girls, sexual pleasure. But as the runners circled the track, here's what they did not see. When they came around the final turn, there was a cemetery at the finish line. So whatever they were pursuing, when they got to the end of the race, they were going to have to die. And all of the things that they were pursuing would not really matter when they finally crossed the finish line. Let me ask you, what is your focus? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? You say, but how do I see Jesus? Well, listen... You can find him in the Bible if you look for him there. This isn't just some religious rule book. This is a living message about the living word, God who came to earth in person. So you can find Jesus. You can see Jesus in the Bible if you look for him there. You can find him in the church if you look for him in the church. This is his body, the church. You can also see him in the people that you serve. Jesus said, I was sick and in prison and you visited me. I was hungry and thirsty and you gave me something to eat or drink. I was in need of clothes and you clothed me. And you say, well, when did I see you? Oh, Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. So you can see Jesus if you look for him. So to review, there are three questions to ask when you're struggling. The first question is, what is your focus? Now here's the second question. What is holding you back? The scripture says in Hebrews 12 to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Look again at Hebrews 12 verse 1. Let us strip off every weight That slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, or another translation says entangles us. See, before you run a race, you have to take off all your heavy clothes. You strip off your warm-up jacket. You get rid of any baggage that might weigh you down or hold you back. Drivers will not win the Indianapolis 500 if they're carrying around a bunch of extra weight in their cars. You can't run a race successfully if you've got your shoelaces tied together. But sometimes, in our walk with God, that's exactly what we try to do. We're trying to run the race, but we're tying our own shoelaces together. We're getting all tripped up and tangled up with things that hold us back. If you're a gardener, did you ever plant peas? It's interesting, pea plants send out little shoots, little little runners that grab onto anything near them. Now, that works well if there's a fence or a trellis next to them because they'll grab onto it and it supports them and lifts them up toward the sun as they grow. Unfortunately, those pea plants will also grab onto any weeds that are growing nearby. And unfortunately, in my garden, there usually are some weeds. The problem is, even for the gardener, it's hard to uproot the weeds without uprooting the peas. They're latching on to the very enemies that are trying to choke out their growth, and their life. We do the same thing. You know, this series that we're doing from Hebrews is called Don't Give Up. But it occurs to me that when we decide to follow Jesus, there are things that we give up. There's a sense in which we do give up. To follow Jesus, I need to give up my pride. I need to give up my self-sufficiency. I need to give up my desire for approval and recognition. I need to give up my need to be in charge. I need to give up things that I foolishly cling to like weeds in my garden. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. And listen, in Bible times, no one picked up a cross unless they expected to die on it. There are things we die to when we come to Christ, things that we have to give up and separate ourselves from that are holding us back. And that means surrendering first and most of all our pride. I I spoke for a retreat in Australia, and during our recreation time, the folks there wanted to play sports. And they wanted to play American-style football. Now, this was cool because I did not play football in high school. I played other sports, but I did not play football. <laughs> but to them, because American-style football was a little new in Australia, they, they thought I was the expert. They wanted me to be the quarterback. I was large and in charge on the American-style football field in Australia. I was calling the plays. But later, they decided to play cricket. <laughs> and I've never played cricket in my life. And I I didn't know what to do. I had to humble myself. I had to learn from the kids. I had to be comfortable being like a beginner. And I had to recognize that I didn't have to be in charge or be the one with all the answers. Coming to Christ and following Christ requires daily dying to ourselves and letting go of the things that are tripping us up, entangling us, holding us back. And that starts with surrendering our pride. What's holding you back from following Jesus with your whole heart? Are you latching on to some things that are tripping you up and dragging you down? Look again at these three questions to ask when you are struggling. What is your focus? What is holding you back? And then here's the third question. What is God teaching you? You know, according to Hebrews chapter 12, God is a loving Father and He disciplines us for our good, notice this is a great passage of scripture here in Hebrews 12, starting with verse seven, and then we'll look at verse ten. It says, "As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children." Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? And then it goes on, and it says, "For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Like all of us dads, we don't do it perfectly, but we do our best. We try." But God is a perfect father. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, that analogy actually is very interesting for me to think about because I remember how my brothers and I sometimes didn't appreciate my parents' discipline. I mean, they made us do things we didn't enjoy. They took me to church with them. They made my brothers and me go to church with them every week. We didn't always enjoy it, frankly, but we went. We all had chores to do on the farm. They made me go to school. And when I got in trouble at school, they even had the nerve to side with my teachers and my principal. They corrected us when we did things that were wrong. Not because my parents didn't love us, but because they did love us. And Hebrews 12 is saying that God does that very same thing. That's the way God treats his children. If you are struggling, it's a good question to ask, what is the Lord teaching me here? Verse 11 says, here in Hebrews 12, says, no discipline, oh, this is so true, isn't it? No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. I don't like going through things. I told somebody the other day, I'm tired of growing, you know. Uh, Lord, just let me just stay kind of the way I am. No, but he won't do that. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You know what? I love that phrase, but afterward. You go through times that are struggle and pain and all, but afterward. I love that phrase, those words, but afterward. In the Christian life, there's always a but afterward. There was even a but afterward for Jesus. Remember Hebrews chapter 12? It says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was awaiting him or the joy that was set before him. Let me tell you, you can put up with a lot when you know there is joy ahead. When Jesus died on the cross, there was still a but afterward. It was Friday, but Sunday was coming. The resurrection was coming. On the day you die, there will still be a but afterward. See, struggles deepen our faith, and they can even broaden and expand our testimony. You know, at first, if you look at a caterpillar, it just looks like a fuzzy worm, (laughs) just this little fuzzy thing, it struggles to emerge from the cocoon, but afterward, in time, the struggle forces fluid into its wings and eventually it comes out as a butterfly. Now, if you step in and prematurely open the cocoon, thinking that you're doing it a favor, the caterpillar won't have to struggle so much, that's true, but actually you're hurting it and you're prohibiting it from displaying its full beauty. You know, the struggle is necessary for the butterfly to grow strong and reach its full beauty. That's the way it is with us too. We like to be on the mountaintop. I love to look at the mountains. I I just, Oh man, it, it raises my vision to be up on top of the mountain. That's great, but when you get to the top of the mountain, what you often find is if you've actually been on top of a mountain, not much grows up there. On top of the mountain, it can actually be cold and barren and rocky. There's not a lot that grows up there. It's great to be on top of the mountain, and from the top of the mountain, oh man, your perspective is broad, and you can see a lot of things. But you know where things actually grow most of the time? Down in the valley. The soil is richer there. In the farm community where I grew up, we had what we called bottom land. Bottom land was land at a low elevation right next to a creek. And creeks in the spring would overflow when it rained a lot. They would overflow and flood the fields with muddy water. But when the floods receded, they would leave behind rich topsoil. And by August, the best corn crop in the area was growing there in the bottom land. You may be in the valley right now. You may be in the bottom land. But you know what? This may be the very place in your life where God God will make something great grow. Someone has said, your pain can become your platform. Your pain, your pain, that, that job you lost, that painful illness you've had to endure, the divorce that broke your heart, the long season of spiritual darkness you have endured, it can become the platform for growing in God's grace and ministering to other people. My wife, Candy, wrote a little poem and put it to music, and the lyrics go like this. Without the storm, there would be no rainbow. Only in darkness can we see the stars. In the depths of the ocean, there is beauty and life. It's really true, you know. In the darkest of places, a small candle shines bright. In the darkest room, in the deepest sea, in the darkest night, he is still here with me. He is my anchor when the the fierce storm winds blow. He is my rock. Oh, be still and know. What's God teaching you through the struggle? There's a book called Take the Stairs. It makes the point that we like to take the escalator or the elevator because they're easier. We don't have to work so hard. But if you take the stairs, it will give you exercise and it will actually make you stronger. Taking the stairs is a way of choosing the harder way because it will help you grow. Hebrews 12 kind of sums this up in verses 12 and 13 when it exhorts us and it just says, so take a new grip with your tired hands. Don't you love that? Take a new grip, get a fresh grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. What is God teaching you through the struggle? Last November, 21-year-old Special Olympics athlete Chris Nickick set a record as the first person with Down syndrome to finish an Ironman race. Now, an Ironman race, that means that he had to swim 2.4 miles bike 112 miles and run a full 26.2 mile marathon and do all of that in 17 hours or less to qualify and he did it all. Last weekend he was honored on TV with the Jimmy V award for perseverance at the 2021 ESPYs. In his acceptance speech, Chris told the crowd, he said, I am an Ironman, Adidas athlete, public speaker, author, and as you can see, ladies, I am adorable, single, and available. (laughs) He said that he wants to honor God and give hope to others, so he has three goals. One is to get 1% better every day. Another is to work hard, but his third goal is never to give up. Let me tell you, for some people, you... Are an essential part of that great crowd of witnesses for some people you are the hiker coming back down the mountain you are the one who will encourage them to keep going and not give up hope some people are looking to you as an example of faith they're relying on you to cheer them on in their walk with God they're watching to see how you will handle your struggles and whether you will handle them by faith. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Let go of anything that's holding you back. And learn what God is teaching you day by day. Never, ever give up. Let's pray. Father, I was really struck by that verse that talked about tired hands and weak knees. Because that's how I feel sometimes. And I know that in this message, as we study this passage of Scripture, I'm talking with people who often have tired hands and weak knees. And we just get weary of the battle, we get tired of the race. We just feel like we don't want to keep climbing up the mountain anymore. Lord, thank you for people you've put in our lives who have gone farther than we have up the hill and who are urging us to continue on. Thank you, God, for those faithful people, believers from past generations, believers like the ones we read about in the Bible, believers that if we look around, we can find here at Connection Point in this church, people who are encouraging us, keep going, don't give up. You're almost there. Help us to listen, Lord, To their wise advice and to follow where you lead with perseverance, with endurance, recognizing that even in our pain, Lord, you can help us grow and you're going to use our lives to bear incredible fruit for the glory of your name. Thank you, Lord, for this great book of Hebrews and this passage that we've been studying today. For all who are hearing this message, Lord, I pray a special blessing upon them that your Holy Spirit would give them comfort, encouragement, strength, tenacity, and courage to keep going. And Lord, we pray all of this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus, who endured the cross for the joy that was set before him.